Um, speaking of uh, Latin. Yes, which we were. We were. Did you read about um, one of our good friends of the show? <sighs> Um, I did, I did, I did. Gavin Williamson. I just find this really <laughs> odd that Latin is considered to be an elitist subject. So we're going to teach it to 40 schools in the UK to make it stop being, being elitist. elitist. So I don't know how many hundreds of schools or possibly thousands of schools there are in the UK. More than forty. I did think I imagined all these thousands of schools throughout the UK just doing some collective eye roll as well. Yeah, but I liked that he listed the ways in which Latin is useful. I mean, hey, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of etymology. Have we have we discussed <laughs> Dawn Butler being told to leave the um, the chamber? No, we haven't. Tell me what happened. So she called the Prime Minister a liar. She said he had lied. And the Speaker of the House said, would my right honourable colleague like to rethink her language? And she said, no, he lied. And she was asked to leave. Yes, and I think, she, didn't she say that she's lied multiple... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Com- like lied multiple on multiple times. occasions, yeah. multiple occasions, and hasn't been held to account for those lies. And as she was leaving, she said, I find it very strange that we have a governmental system a parliamentary system, I should say, that prevents me from calling somebody a liar but doesn't prevent that person from lying. Mm. This is a podcast in which two friends have serious conversations about silly things and silly conversations about serious things. I'm Simon Ellis. And I'm Lee Miller. Welcome to Midlife. And I did learn this week that that whole thing about a frog boiling in water, you know, and then how the water yeah. is suddenly changing. That uh, actually, it's completely wrong. That if you put a uh, if you put a frog in boiling water, it would likely burn itself and be unable to get out and die. As opposed to if you have a frog in water and it's slowly um, getting uh, hotter and hotter, eventually it would just get a bit uncomfortable and hop out. <laughs> oh, so this is a complete a complete fallacy. Yes, exactly. So the, the oh, I love that. That's a fallacy. Yeah, yeah. It's a fallacy it's like according so... to something I read or some podcast I listened to, which I probably won't even bother finding for the show notes. Just look it up yourselves, mm. you lazy motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> also, can I just encourage any listeners to not engage in empirical research? Because as a narrative, it makes perfect sense to say it's like a frog in water. You know what we mean, even if it's inaccurate. What I don't want is to somebody, you know, so I want John the pedants. I want our listeners to all be pedants. I actually frankly. took four different breeds of frogs. Two of them native <laughs> to the UK. I closed their eyes. Two. <laughs> I closed my own eyes. I placed one in boiling water. Call it frog number one. <laughs> Let's not go there because we don't want this kind of um, well, I, I, brutalism. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I want the accuracy. I want the I want the truth. You can't handle that. I watched uh, a few good I men can't handle the, the other truth. day. Oh, that was um, Jack Nicholson. Tom, yeah, no, Tom I was Cruise. trying to think of the man, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin's first. Uh, that's right. Sort it was of foray, isn't it? Because that was a play. It was a play. First. Correct. That was before someone put me onto a TV show that I've watched so much in the last 48 hours that I've woken up each morning feeling like I'm hungover from having Uh watched, looked at a screen for so long each day. 
I am so sorry. But for those listeners interested, this is The Good Fight, which is the semi-sequel to uh, The Good Wife, which was a long-running sort of drama procedural that was about a, a disgraced politician's wife who returns to a career in the law. Oh, so that's the main, that's the, the, the that's main, the main wife actor in this is that the woman? No, 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 that's not. That's Christine Baranski. Christine Baranski played a, a supporting role in The Good Wife. But when that show finished, the um, the makers of the show, Robert and Michelle King, wanted to carry on with the narrative of Christine Baranski, but they also wanted to address the fact that I think there had been some critique that mainstream American TV was was quite white and when it did have um, black characters they were not effectively written as black yeah so thanks for um, putting me onto that I've got through the first series well done <laughs> what is that thing where you go I've got to watch the next one it's not that the show's so compelling where you have to go I have to find out what happens next you know it's really it's interesting because you know that it's there but I could just because... savor it. I could spend I could spend months and months just watching one a week and just savor. But it's this. like opening a packet of biscuits. You know, you don't need to eat six. You can just have one. But you've opened the packet of biscuits. And you're like, well, go on then. So there's a kind of mindlessness about it. My terrible story about that was uh, there are um, there's a particular kind of biscuit in Australia called TV snacks. Uh, I think they're it's spelled T E E V E E. And um, they're basically little kind of basically butter cookies of different shapes covered in chocolate. Quite small, <laughs> um, small as in chuck one in your mouth, small. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a packet. This is, I was flatting when I was not long after I'd arrived in Melbourne and we had a packet of them. And they're quite big packets and it was about three quarters, um, <laughs> three quarters full. And I thought I'll have a couple. And I was, I was watching TV at the time and... Um, I realised I'd finished off the entire packet and then went down to the service station, uh, like the garage. What do you call that here? Servo? I would call it the garage. The garage. In a very, uh, the a very northern way. The garage. The service station, exactly. And um, bought a replacement pack and thought, I know what I'll do. I'll eat them down a little bit so that it, that's basically the same amount that were in there when I... But then I just then I ended up eating that a whole packet as well, <laughs> and I had to go back to the garage, buy another box, and eat that one down to the. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as uh, as my nephew will say, you really um, he, he, a long-standing joke between us is that I would fail the marshmallow test over and over and over again. Just for the listeners, explain the marshmallow test. Marshmallow test is a very famous uh, psychological, um, although it's been. It's been challenged recently, but uh, the idea is that... A lot like frogs. A lot, <laughs> exactly. That uh, it was done with very young children, and uh, a simple thing is that... Um, uh, th- this will be in the show notes, the video, because the videos are excruciatingly funny and joyful, but uh, they would be put a, a marshmallow on a plate in front of them, and they'd be told that you need to... If you wait, if you don't eat this and you wait for however many minutes, you'll get a second one. If not, you only get the first. So it's a, it's a basically a, a, it's a test of, um, uh, what do you call it, when you uh, uh, delaying gratification. Yeah. And, uh, but it's also been correlated with success in life, which is, you can imagine, that's where the tricky parts come in and the way in which oh. it's been contested. Um, and there are, you know, different ways in which psychologists measure 
the idea of being successful. And those, you know, you could say are culturally agreed upon that so-and-so is a successful person because A or because B, etc. But um, it's still a bit full on, isn't it? I mean, but I think, again, I think it depends on the measures of, you know, there, mm. there are different ways in which they describe success in this. Anyway, the, the videos of these children and their, the, the strategies they employ to prevent themselves eating this one marshmallow are truly hilarious and um, just so beautiful. But I would, and I think I would fail it to this day. I think if they put a marshmallow on there and say, just wait two minutes, I'd just go, fuck it, I want that now. Well, well, given that you've just watched an entire season of uh, The Good Fight in 48 hours, yeah, Finn's right. You're going to fail that yeah, test. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it is the contemporary equivalent of the marshmallow test is the um, binge watching. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So, so we had a little text back and forth earlier on in the week because uh, well, because we did, <laughs> um, and we both had a little bit of a wobbly week. We, we were going to potentially talk about it. Yeah, I mean, the problem with my wobbly week is uh, it means we'll touch on one of our very common um, themes in this podcast, which is sort of touches on death, really. And so I'm a little bit, uh, yeah. We're okay, because last week we didn't talk about death at all. And all of our unfaithful listeners know exactly that. It's a one-on-one-off. So we might, might, in the the, um, download numbers, we might see little uh, bi-weekly or fortnightly spikes uh in when people go oh no we're going to skip the death episode this time shall i tell you shall i tell you my story do you want to start with your story i think i'd much rather hear yours Hmm. i was out running and uh um, my very dear um uncle of mine had uh has been a bit sick he must be knocking on the door of he must be getting towards 80 and, and lives in new zealand and so People may not know this, but it takes more or less 24 hours plus to get to New Zealand from the UK. It is a long haul flight. Mm, mm. And uh, and also my mum's 80 plus, right? And it got me thinking about, oh boy, I'm really going to, this is going to be pretty hard. I mean, I want to ask it as a question of you. It got me thinking about going and it got me thinking about going to see her, but recognizing that it would probably be the last time I saw her. And, or effectively going to see her for the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would likely know that. I would likely know that. Although it could be said or unsaid. Or not. And, for example, just fly to a funeral. Or not. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, I don't know what to say either. I mean, you know, go on. No, no, I was going to say, you know, my parents live out of the country, but of course that just, I think what it does is it simply underscores that the chances are we won't be with the people that we love when they die. Because really you could be in New Zealand and you could be around the corner. My dad's dad, um, my dad's dad was diagnosed with lung cancer when he was 89 didn't he wasn't a smoker at that point i guess like anybody uh, of that age it would, this would have been god i was 15 so what's that 33 years ago so it would have been the l- early 90s i guess yeah late late 80s early 90s that this happened so my granddad was born in 1899 
1899. I know, it's hilarious, isn't it, to think that my granddad was born in 1899. Yeah, it just shows you how quickly those our generations... Um, yeah. Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. Two generations my... back, and we're back in the 1800s. Oh, exactly. Especially if, like, my dad's side of the family, my 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 dad's parents had a lot of kids. They had, like, six. Um, and my dad was the second youngest. So there was a big gap between yeah. his eldest and, and him. Yeah. I think his, his eldest sibling was 16 or 17 years older than him. Um, so he was quite a late, you know, a late child, which means his parents were relatively old. And my parents didn't have me until they were in their early 30s. So, we're, you know... I, I'm a, a relatively late addition, so that's you know. So I was you know. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. there's this, there's a slightly skewed or um, yeah. unusual yeah. distances uh, or uh, times between those generations. They're lengthy Abs- spaces between generations. Yeah, a- absolutely. Somebody I went to school with. I'm I'm the godfather for her son, um, and she's now a, a grandma and has been a grandma for some considerable time. You went to school I, I with find her. That I went to school with her and I'm like, how the fucking hell is she a grandma? But of course, she had a kid at 17. Yeah, 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 yeah. And her kid had a kid at like like 20. Yeah. So actually, and then I think the, the you know, the, the, the kid is like 10 or, the, this grandchild is 10 or something now. Yeah. So it, it's only a couple of years until she's going to potentially be a great grandparent. And she was only born in 72. So you kind of go, what? Yeah, yeah, there is yeah. that That's the other end happens. of the uh, continuum. Aha, uh-huh. uh-huh. yeah, totally the other end. But my dad's dad, my granddad, was diagnosed with lung cancer. Um, and he died relatively quickly. I think he, I think he died within four weeks. Yeah. My dad was about an hour away. Um, and his dad was dying. And he made regular trips down. And he was in the house when he died. But he wasn't in the room. He'd sat with him for a couple of hours and got up, walked out of the room to stretch his legs, get a cup of tea, went back in and he was dead. And there's that, I think what I was very, taking a very long-winded way of getting to is, I think the distance between our elderly parents and ourselves just reinscribes that idea that, you know, you can be in the same house and still miss that moment. Um and so i think i think there is a we freight this anxiety as if the distance makes us uh, i don't i don't know i don't know so about cool. that um yeah that but the, it's also the just to add one more thing into the mix is um my tremendous ambivalence about flying from an oh. environmental perspective mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. certainly Pumping plenty of uh, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere every time you fly to New Zealand, even though, as you know, we both know, understand those flights are happening every anyway. Although, if enough people stop going, then they don't. Yeah, and we also understand that there is the there's the personal ethics of something. Just because it, it's that them and us, isn't it, that we talked about in the past? That yeah, you know. But I think I, I think you're yeah. I hadn't thought about the. Um, how do you, how does that how does that sit for you? Oh, I just don't have any clue. I don't have any clue because actually, you know, I, I like that. It's interesting the story you tell about. Well, you know, you can be in the 
next bedroom, uh, you know, in the next room and not be there. And of course, I'm not talking about being there when, um, let's say, my mm-hmm. mother dies. I'm not talking about that mm-hmm. at all. Although I had that experience mm-hmm. uh, when my dad died, which was, um, you know, I, I was basically waiting and sitting around and he just, he wouldn't die. And uh, <laughs> so I went back to work. I went back to work in New Zealand and was coaching tennis when... Um, um, my dear friend Anna Callender had a phone call where she was running this camp, this sort of tennis camp, and and she knew what this phone call was going to be about because it was sort of always just there. So I remember that's when Mum told me that Dad had died, and I had to you know bike home through the hills of Kandala and into Thorndon, I think it was, and um, Kilburn or whatever it doesn't matter in in Wellington in New Zealand. And um, but I, I missed you know, so I missed the moment of his of his dying. No. What was that bike ride like, Simon? It was truly surreal. It was the most, um, and this, this is a beautiful ride. Like uh, for people don't, Wellington is a very hilly city, and um, this was it was in summertime, just before Christmas, and uh, and I loved that ride. And I used to, I really knew the ride very well. And not, a, it's not a short ride either. It's quite a, it's you know, you have to you do quite a lot of physical work on it, and. Um, just I remember just biking as fast as I possibly could, but at the same time sort of reveling in, in that in that uh, the knowingness of it, but then also this crazy abstraction going on in my mind. Crazy abstraction. He's gone, he's gone, he's gone, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. And um yeah, it's uh, I don't it's funny, I don't even feel it I don't uh, you know, there are many things that would um would uh, make me very upset thinking about uh, the death of my father. But that's not one of them. You know, that's just a kind of a, sort of a, a surreal, beautiful experience in a way. Mm. But um, but this thing, this is this what we're, what I'm, I was hoping you'd give me some like really sharp, and I go, uh, you know, sharp answer, advice, and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Mm. But um, right. I don't know what, to, I don't, I don't know what to do. I actually really don't know what to do. And uh, and the worst of it is, I feel like there's something I think about the unstated aspect. If I were to go there and spend two weeks or whatever with with my mum, and and then the saying goodbye, and the kind of n- unstated uh, knowing that what was happening in that goodbye, you know what I mean, eh? I know exact. I know exactly what you mean, and. I think better than the knowing, better than explicitly stating it, maybe. Is it? Because we don't know. know. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I. Oh. What kind of a. What kind of a relationship <laughs> do you have with your mom? And I'll qualify that question. I think I've spoken at length about the fact that most of the conversations I've had with my mom since I was about twelve have been about her imminent death. (laughs) It's really, I love the, I don't know the origins of the word imminent, but it's like she's not quite getting that part of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There is a sense, though, that she's she's always preparing me. Yeah. Yeah. You've definitely talked about Um, that quite a bit, haven't you? Yeah. It's really interesting. And I think think that's in in, in part due due to the fact that her, her dad... Well, actually, the man she refers to as her father, because she um, she needs she sort of somehow needs to keep this clear in her head. Her father died when she was two, and her dad died, which is the man who adopted her. So my grandma got remarried, and my mum's 
stepdad decided he didn't want to just be her stepdad. He wanted to adopt her so that she would feel properly held. Um, which sounds like a really lovely thing. Mm. As a signifier, I think it's quite quite strong. So she will often talk about her father and her dad as two separate people, because they were to her. Um, and he died... So her dad was the person who raised her, is that Her how... dad was... Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. that's right, gotcha. yeah. And he died unexpectedly when she was relatively young. And I remember her being um, somewhere away and having to make a trip back and having packed the wrong dress and and, and being really embarrassed that she was wearing a, a, a sort of a floral dress to his funeral. Mm. And my grandma going, he can't see. He doesn't care. Mm. I don't care. Mm. Um, I think there's a sense that because she lost her father early and her dad suddenly that she's been always anxious about being unprepared for death and she doesn't want me to be unprepared so that's been her her coping strategy for that situation absolutely and so so she's not going to pass down her floral dresses to you in this case no no she's not (laughs) she's not but i do wonder Mm. you know I, i feel that that conversation about this might be the last time we see each other is a conversation that we would have hmm but that's you know that that's informed by decades of talking about her death yeah i don't I, this is this is difficult because i i think that is a conversation that i could have with my mother but i think the conversation is made almost impossible because of the distance mm. because mm. The, the trips are not every day mm. in the sense of your trips to see your mother every day they don't happen every day but they're they're not unusual no but my trips to New Zealand, even if I were to go every year, are still something. They're still an event, you might say. Quite intense. Yeah. Quite intensely. I'm so used to my microphone sliding downwards that I'm still I'm starting to imagine it. You know, like when you um when yeah. you don't have your phone in your pocket and you feel it vibrate. <laughs> yeah, that's called loneliness. It's called loneliness. It, loneliness. Was... That's what happens when you feel the phone ringing in your pocket, but the phone isn't there and no one's ringing. It means that you are just desperate for somebody to reach out. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, I, I have it all the time. I thought it was like phantom limb type thing. It's, it, it's a little like phantom limb, only it's phantom friend. <laughs> Well, you're bringing me down. You're bringing me down, oh, man. Oh, let let me bolster you. Let me let you let me pump you up. Then I had such a good time. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad for the for the, for the word up at the end of that sentence. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's spinning and not spitting out, uh, not letting blood fly out of your face reminds me of the thing I didn't tell you, which was. Akram Khan. He's a right spinny little fucker, isn't he? I gain excellent for the tombstone. A right spinny little fucker, is that what you said? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a right spinny little fucker. Like I said, he was too old now. Used to be a spinny little fucker. Now he's old. Does, now he's he dead. did do lots of spinning. No, he's not dead now. I'm, just, if, I'm imagining desecrating his tombstone, not yeah. murdering him. He did a lot of spinning. And this would have been... 20, 20, God, 25 years ago. So you, maybe? so you were just becoming dance adjacent then? I was just becoming dance adjacent and he was just becoming dance famous. Mm. 
So he was he was still playing very small venues. So this was a venue of maybe 120 seats, yeah. if that. And it wasn't even a quarter full. Ekram, can you hear us? Can you hear us, Ekram? <laughs> you've been dissed by, you've been dissed by a smooth academic. Um... <laughs> Is it dissed? Does he use the word dissed? No, I am because you've been, been hit, hit by, by. You've been hit. You've by. been struck by. Nice criminal. Now we're going to have to cut this because we can't reference Michael Jackson. Cause... Yes, we can. Oh, okay, good. Um, ding, ding, yeah, ding, he ding, spun ding. around and he sweated right into my mouth. Oh, I was just sweat though. Because I was right. Yeah, no, he didn't bleed. He just sweated right into my mouth. And I didn't know whether I was delighted or horrified. I decided. Do you think he was aiming? Horrified. <laughs> like you're at one of those uh, restaurants, the Japanese restaurants, where they throw little bits of you know meat into your mouth from afar. Did we ever go to that place? <laughs> we and did. Not together. <laughs> we did. <laughs> uh, it was like Northampton's poshest place, wasn't it? Uh, it? It was. It was of the places that you would eat at in Northampton. It was of the top two. It was that place or the church. Definitely in the top two. Was in oh, the that's top right, two. the church. I forgot about that. And uh, I, the guy would always catch his egg in his hat. I loved that. 